0: Hi, this is Doug Manch, and you're listening to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Yes, welcome back, loony listeners, you are listening to Into the Night, The Moon Knight Podcast. This is episode 137, and we are back, baby. We are in Grant Mansion again. I am your host, High Priest Khonshu Ray. I have another very special guest, and as I sit here in this plush setting with the uh, you know, deep leather couches and, and the roaring fire and, and the lovely music behind me, I am joined by a very special guest, Curtis Finlay from the Epic Marvel Podcast. Curtis, welcome. Welcome to Grant Mansion.
1: Hi. I, th- I thank you for using your influence to invite me here. I've always wanted to visit this place. <laughs> well, as is always
0: the case as well, Mark uh, is out on business um, he doesn't tell me much. He says, um, you know, it's a Stephen Grant related thing. It might be a moon night thing. He might be out, you know, on the rooftop somewhere, but the fact is that we have his, uh, his abode and, uh, and, and, how are you finding it? Was it, was the travel okay here? I mean, a few, uh, windy roads, a few misty, uh, yeah <laughs>
1: mountain <laughs> it, it is quite a ways off the beaten path. Um, it, I mean, that's what happens with these rich people. They love their secluded mansions, <laughs> right? So it's quite a drive, but I, I found it no problem. GPS brought me right here. Excellent, excellent.
0: Well, um, make yourself comfy, Curtis. Um, get nice and warm in front of that fire. We'll, we'll get some drinks happening soon. Um, I'll, I'll give um, Samuels a call. But anyway, before we start that, I just wanted to say hello to any new listeners and uh, just mention this is uh, what I like to call an Isla Ra Sessions, so... Um, what we do have from time to time is um, we invite some guests over, fellow loonies, fellow fans of Moon Knight. And, and it's uh, a chance actually just to get to know know them a little bit more. Uh, but at the same time, um, the reason why it's called Isla Ra is uh, Curtis has brought his four Desert Island comic books. So four books he can't live without. Uh, and we'll go through that uh, and reveal it as we go along. Now, also there are links to the show notes. So, if you want to have a little sneaky peek as to what Curtis has chosen, just click those links, have a have a listen, have a read, sorry, uh, and then come back and listen to the podcast. Or if you just want to be surprised, um, hold off on those links, and uh, we shall reveal it, it to you one at a time. Now, Curtis, um, well hang on. Let, let me just uh, let me just ring the bell. Okay. So, uh, Samuels will be on his way, um, if you're peckish, if you're thirsty, um, he can prepare anything, Nedder can prepare anything in the kitchen. Now, now Curtis, um, we always like to kick off getting to know our loonies, and I will throw you straight into it. Uh, comics, how did you first get into comics?
1: <laughs> There's kind of uh, a few parts to this story because my, my interest in comics go in various different directions, as we'll find out mm-hmm. in a little bit. Um, but I think one of the first things that I remember, in fact, the first comic book I ever got um, was Web of Spider-Man number 60. Mm-hmm. And I got it as a birthday present for my ninth birthday. Right. My, no, my eighth birthday. And I actually got two copies of it for my birthday <laughs> because wow. two different friends had brought it. Uh, can you imagine those days when bringing a comic book was a birthday present? Like I don't think you do that anymore, <laughs> no. really. Like no. they probably they brought it up, bought it off a spinner rack at a Seven Eleven or something, and uh, and gave it as a present. I got two copies. Now the interesting thing about that comic is um, it is right in the middle of the the Acts of Vengeance storyline. Oh, brilliant. And Spider-Man had cosmic powers. Yes. And so I'm reading this, the kind of experiencing Spider-Man for the first time. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know he could fly. I didn't know he <laughs> could shoot lasers from his eyes. <laughs> Spider-Man is awesome.
0: <laughs> it, must have been, it must have been a bit confusing. I mean, you, I'm assuming, oh, well, maybe eight years old, maybe not. But did you have any preconceptions of Spider-Man just being a wall crawler? and then being thrown yeah, I mean, by I think, all these.
1: I think everybody knew who Spider-Man, Batman, and Superman were. That's the, their kind of common knowledge. Mm-hmm. He didn't have any any animated series or anything on the time at TV. It had been a, a number of years since uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I probably just had a general knowledge of who he was, but didn't know the specifics of his powers. And so that thing, reading that one is kind of cool. But, I mean, I I'm pretty sure... I read that thing dozens and dozens of times <laughs> um, and he was confused by his own powers yeah. in that comic, in that issue. So, so I think I probably gleamed at some point that something was different or something was wrong, but I can't remember that for sure. Uh, so, he, and then I would go to the comic book shop. I found out that there was one near me. I would beg my dad to take me mm-hmm. with my allowance and yes. I tracked down the next couple of, of issues and found, found out the rest of the, the story mm-hmm. when he you know lost his powers after that. Right. <laughs> so there you go. Is there a is
0: there a story behind two of your friends giving you the same issue as well? I mean that's quite a coincidence. No. So, no.
1: Not that I know of. I don't think so. I think it's just the fact that uh, they wanted to give me a comic book. I guess mm. and they just happened to give that's me so the cool. same one. <laughs> yeah. There there is a second part to mm-hmm. the story as well, and sure. after that comic. Um, I had noticed that some kids at school, we they were, maybe this is a couple of years later, actually. Yeah, this would have been in 1990. This would have been the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I- at school, some kids were trading cards. And usually it's like basketball or hockey cards, especially hockey being in Canada. Hockey, um, yes. They were a big deal. And I didn't care at all for them. But then I started noticing that there were some kids that were trading cards with superheroes on them. Oh yeah! And that really interested me, because <laughs> I've been always been drawn to just the artwork in general, and I love cartoons and and, mm-hmm. and drawing and stuff, and and so when I saw those, I was like, how can I get some? And yeah. and I noticed that some of them had some doubles, and I'm like, can I have some? Some one of your doubles? <laughs> one of the, one of the kids gave me one of his cards, and I was thrilled. And nice. And it yeah. was Aunt May. Oh <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't actually a superhero, yeah. Aunt May had her own trading card, and I got that card, and I loved it, even though it was just Aunt May because it was it was like um I was in their special little circle, yeah, and so I found out that at the, the comic shop they sold those they were you could buy a pack of twelve for a dollar, mm-hmm. so I used my allowance. And I got all of these cards and that's when I first started learning about all of the Marvel superheroes. They had great pictures on the front Mm -hmm. and on the back they had information like the real name and Mm -hmm. how many battles they fought and, and what their first appearance was and a little bio about their history. And I learned about all these characters before I'd even read any of the adventures with them and it was such an education and made me fall in love with marvel and that's why i'm a marvel fan to this day oh that's fantastic that's such a good way actually to get into comics and
0: uh, it's quite timely because 1990 as you say there was a little bit of a boon with trading cards i mean i'm not sure about it the trading cards these days Uh, if there is i've kind of lost touch with it but i used to collect them a lot as well and i I have a mental image of that Aunt May card because I think I've got that one as well. Um, that that <laughs> actual <laughs> series. That was it was incredible. It was great. It, it was kind of like a very compact handbook to the Marvel Universe. And what, Absolutely. What better way to learn about the characters to get this excitement about them uh, than through the cards. Uh, did you manage to expand your, your set? Did you complete it or <laughs> get the hol- <laughs> holograms and stuff? Or?
1: Abs- well, I got one of the holograms from the first set. Nice. I actually have two sets of the first first two series now. Wow. Um, because I collected them and you couldn't, like it was a thing where it's like, you can't just buy a set off of eBay. That didn't exist. Mm. I actually collected them. I bought a pack every every week and yeah. I had so many doubles and I try to trade yeah. some with friends. I think that I'm still missing one card from the third set. Oh, and I have a, I have the whole fourth set, and then I have about half of, or maybe three quarters of the fifth set. And by that time, wow. the cards were getting A, too expensive, and then B, uh, I was just not as into it anymore. Yeah. Um, it, I think I was getting into high school.
0: I mean, it's good that uh, you mentioned eBay. I did have a look uh, recently because um, I went to my parents' place, and I've un- uncovered my, my card set. And, you know, being the completionist, it's kind of like, oh, there are a couple of empty sleeves there. Ah, oh, eBay. I wonder if people are selling... And people are. They're selling the cards yep. um, individually or as a whole set. So you can actually, any listeners out there who have incomplete sets, you can complete it. Um, you know, for a little price. Yeah, I think it's a little pricey. But if you really want to complete your set... Um, no, that's really funny. Because, uh, that, yeah, that was such a funny time... Um, Funny, the beginning of the 90s, basically, the end of the 80s. um, It it spawned a whole lot of uh, trading card series. Um, So just going back to the the comics as well. So where was Spider-Man? You got into... um, Did you follow that run? Did you... um, You obviously became a a big Spider-Man fan. How did that kind of... How did that kind of
1: transition you to any any
0: other of your favourites currently from Marvel? Yeah.
1: Well, I didn't collect anything regularly at that time. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the the knowledge to to really do so. So I would walk into the comic book shop and just kind of pick up whatever caught my eye. Mm-hmm. And back then, as you know, it was the Jim Shooter way of making comics is like they were one and done stories. Yeah, everybody can enjoy the beginning, a middle, and an end. And there's a there's some. B-stories or C-stories that keep you coming back for more. But for the most part, I didn't need to 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 collect anything on a regular basis. Mm. I could just buy one based on how cool the cover looked like, and that's what I did. It wasn't until 94 when comics started changing and becoming a lot more serialized mm. Uh, and I got, as a gift again, I got the first issue of Generation X from oh, my cousin okay. for yeah. Christmas. And then my brother got me the second and third issue. Mm-hmm. And then as I was walking home from from something, I can't remember, I stopped at the corner store and found issue number four. And I was like, wow, I have four issues in a row here. <laughs> Maybe I'll keep going. Yeah. And I loved that book. I loved that book so much. And uh, I'll talk about Generation X later. Yeah. Um. But I managed to stay on board, and I was I collected all seventy five issues of that comic yeah. until it was canceled, and that was the first real thing. And that's and then I started I had more disposable income at that time. My allowance got bigger and such, so I started pile on more comics. I think I started collecting Spectacular, no, Amazing, Amazing Spider Man through that time, mm-hmm. which was the Clone Saga and the Ben Riley Saga. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, yeah, yeah Mark, the Mark Bagley. Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mark yeah. Bagley, that's
0: right. I oh, mean, he's been around for ages, so yeah, I just threw that name. It, it would have been easy for <laughs> it to stick because he's been around for decades. But yeah, um, Age of Apocalypse, yeah, of course, as well. Yeah. Um, Oh, hang on! Whoops, one sec. Here's uh, here's Samuel's. Uh, hi, Samuel. Yes. Oh, yes. perfect. Thanks, uh, Samuels. There you go. Uh, thanks. Look at the sandwiches. This is awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Samuel's, you have outdone yourself. Um, uh, that's great. Um, please, compliments <clears throat> to to the chef or the caterer. Um, mm. Cool. Excellent. Cool. Thank you, Samuels. Off he goes. He he likes to grizzle, but he does really do good good work. Um, Curtis, just you, you were talking about, um, you know, you're collecting the whole seventy-five issues of Generation X. I wanted to actually lead into, and um, for those okay that don't know, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Curtis does host the Epic Marvel podcast. Um, yep. Curtis, want to actually for those that haven't heard about it. Um, how would you best describe that podcast?
1: Uh, The podcast is an in-depth look at Marvel's classic comics. Mm -hmm. Uh, My focus is on comics that have been, you know, pretty much from the, before the year 2000s. Comics took a notable change. Well, they've taken a notable change a number of times through the years, but notable change um, in 1999, 2000, around that time. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's kind of when I jumped off of comics mm. uh, for a while, uh, superhero comics at least. Yeah, and uh, I can get, I'll get into that later on as well. Yes, and and so when when the opportunity came up, I, I've been collecting these Epic collections. You know, the have your, do your listeners know about the Marvel Epic collections? Um, yeah, I,
0: I know a fair few of them. Absolutely do, but um, just in case they don't, some of them don't. Um, they're just collected okay. editions. Yes.
1: Yeah, and Marvel has been uh, has this great initiative called the Epic Collections where they are reprinting all of their long-running titles from the beginning. So like Amazing Spider-Man from number one all the way up to, I don't know, I think the one of the most recent volumes is Maximum Carnage, which yes. is in the 300s printing them unbroken every single issue there it's not one of these creator owned issues where they stick in all the creators and leave out the the fill in issues or it's not one of these uh, you know storyline or character specific collections where they skip a whole bunch of issues because the character wasn't in them they're going from start to finish and they've got most of their longest running titles going there and I've been collecting these these uh, comics these collections uh, very very regularly since the pretty much the beginning Mm. And I just, the problem with buying these books so fast is you don't you don't read them. <laughs> I've got a huge library yeah. and it, so many books just go unread. Yeah, yeah. And like I got to do something to uh, force myself to read them. So I started a podcast, which keeps me accountable <laughs> for <laughs> keeping exactly. a regular reading pace, which is really great. Yeah. The, the nice thing about the Epic Collections is that they publish their volumes out of order, mm. which means that you don't have to just read all of the 60s forever. You can yeah. jump to the 70s or the 80s or the 90s and jump back and forth. And I think that's a wonderful idea. Yes. And that's how I'm treating my podcast. Mm-hmm. I am reading one epic collection, and then I'm making an episode about that one. And just like the epic collections, I publish my episodes out of order as well. So <laughs> one episode, you'll get Iron Man number 10. Yeah. The next episode, you'll get Spider-Man number 24. Mm-hmm. The next episode, you'll get, you know, Avengers number 35 or whatever. No, mm-hmm. we don't. We haven't gotten that high, but <laughs> we, we jump... You know, we jump back and forth to the 60s, to the 80s. Yeah. And uh, so there's a little bit of something for everybody. It yeah. also means you don't have to listen to our episodes in order. You can just find whatever you're currently reading. Yes. And and just listen along.
0: Oh, I, I love that aspect, it, it, how your show is is quite evergreen. Um, you, you, as you yeah. say, you can just, you can pick, that's what I've been doing. I've just been picking the, um, the reviews that you do of either the collections that I've just recently obtained or ones that I am interested in. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. It's a great way to do it, and listeners, if you haven't listened to it, um, please do. Um, it, it, is a, it is a little slippery slope, I must say, Curtis. You've got me on onto <laughs> it, uh, and, and I have since, you know, joined your your Facebook group as well. Um, a massive mm-hmm. amount of real, of really live interaction there between really avid collectors. Um, it, it's really a buzz at the moment, and it kind of it's just um, skyrocketed. I think that group hasn't it. I mean, the, the members have it just It has the last little while, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's a really good thing. Um, so listeners, yeah, Epic Collections are uh, um, about 400-odd pages. Uh, I'd say, what are they, 14, 15 issues long, something like that? Um,
1: They're usually f- somewhere between 15 and 20 issues 15, okay. collected,
0: yeah. Oh yeah, some of them
1: are really thick and others are quite um, quite slender. Um it depends on where the good breaking points are for the stories. The yeah. people who put these collections together do a really, really good job of finding the spots where you can stop. Mm. And if you're only going to buy that one volume, it's fine. Yeah, uh, it's usually maybe the end of a creator run or the end of a story arc or something. It, it, they do a, a fantastic job of planning all of this out. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. As well, and, and as you say, as well, they they do release things. Um,
0: uh, all, all over the place, like you know. So you're not going to get volume one, two, three, four consecutive, and you're not going to be um, bogged down. Some people like it; other people may not. You're not going to be bogged down with, you know, reading from the 60s chronologically. You can eventually do that when when all the volumes do come out, but it's a really cool thing. Um, so anyway, Curtis, what I wanted to actually um, angle towards by introducing um, this kind of summary of the Epic Marvel podcast is that Mm -hmm. you've mentioned that you're collecting singles and floppies and stuff. Um, How did it turn into, how did you come to actively um, collect large volumes? And I'm talking, we're talking 140 Mm -hmm. plus epic collections. Um, And they're not the only trades that you collect. I'm sure you collect other collections as well. Um, So when did this kind of start? How did you transition from singles to, to trades?
1: Uh, I around like I said around 1999 or 2000 mm-hmm. or so I stopped buying a lot of the superhero comics and yeah. a lot of it was just because I found that they weren't as fun anymore or the storylines didn't interest me and such uh, I I would I dropped issues I dropped you know the titles that would be in my pull box one at a time one mm-hmm. by one and pretty soon I was down to I think fantastic four. And Ultimate Spider-Man were kind of the two last, and finally I gave up on those two as well. And one of the reasons I did that was because of um, because of the Generation X Underground Special, mm-hmm. um, which will we'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, I'll bring prurky. that up a little bit later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, in fact, th- this, this is a story that's probably a little bit better told then as well. But uh, eventually, because I was stopped buying these single issues, it al- my, allowed me to explore other areas mm. of the comic book world, which were graphic novels and such. And uh, then I started buying more, more collections, which I liked. I, think you get, I feel, felt like I got a better deal for my dollar, and there mm-hmm. was a lot more variety out there for me to explore. Uh, yeah. And I, I gravitated toward the old stuff, and the old stuff wasn't being released in the singles, and it's harder to find complete runs because they're old, and some mm. of them are collectible and such, and I didn't want to spend the money on it, so collections are where it's at for me now.
0: Yeah. yeah um, It is true. I mean, I've got a few friends as well that do prefer the classic, like the older runs, um, because they, they do have a certain charm to them compared to, say, the modern ones. I mean, pros and cons for both, so... Uh, I'm not saying that one's better than the other, but, um, yeah, there there are some preferences towards the older older runs. The comics that you, you were or that you slowly dropped off, you mentioned you weren't too interested in them anymore as well. Um, these days we do get... We are blessed with, I guess, the digital um, comic mm-hmm. book era as well. I'm just wondering how, where you kind of stand... With that and collections and singles, because there's there's so much variety now as a comic book collector. Uh, I know people that collect digitals exclusively, um, and those that still are very adamant to to get the singles, which is it's really great as well. But there's a lot of things like the the financial, I guess, value compared to as you mentioned getting a collected. I mean, the Epic collections are very, um, how shall we
1: say? Um,
0: you, you get bang for your buck,
1: really, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple for, for the the Canadian cover price. It's uh, I think two bucks per issue thereabouts or so. I think, mm. um, or maybe two fifty. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, I have no problem with digital. I think it's okay. it's great that the people have uh, have options, and if that's your preference, then that's great. Uh, I prefer myself. To have a, a a library in my house, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's always my my preference. Yeah. Um, however, I do have a subscription to Marvel Unlimited, and okay. and I think it's a, a such a fantastic service. Uh, to have, I have it on my phone, and one of the reasons I got it was when my kids were really little. In fact, one of them still is little enough that I sit in a dark room mm-hmm. when I put them to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. And I can read comics. That's great because I can see <laughs> them. <laughs> That's right. That's um, and it's wonderful, right. and to have like the entire output of Marvel's history, nor nearly in, the entire output of Marvel's history, on my phone to read at any given time, it's great. If I'm picking up my kids from school and I have to wait around a couple minutes, I read a comic. If I'm on the the, the, the bus or. You know, I've got some time at the doctor's office or whatever. I can read comics. So, so you don't adhere to, um,
0: or you don't? Do, do you place much importance of? Um, I guess do you collect current titles now? Are you up to speed, up to date with the latest and greatest issues of whatever titles that interest you, or you prefer to just wait the six months with Marvel Unlimited
1: and, and still catch up that way? I wait for Mar- on Marvel Unlimited. Mm. So right now, uh, as of this recording, I am in the middle of. House of Powers, uh, or Powers of Ten, House of X. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm halfway through both of those series because that's what's currently on Marvel Unlimited. God,
0: that's already out um, on Marvel Unlimited. Jeez, it, it, yep it, it. felt like just yesterday <laughs> it
1: came out. But yeah, that, that's good.
0: That's good then.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's just the first <laughs> yeah. three issues, and I'm loving it so far. Yeah, and I've I I am definitely getting more into back into reading the original, well, uh, the new stuff because mm. it's accessible. Yes. I don't want to pay $4.50 for one single issue, which yeah. I think is the cover price in Canada here. It's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. um, I would rather pay my $10 a month subscription or whatever it is, and, and, uh, and I can read all of it. it mm. It's actually quite a, an amazing deal. And I can, read, yeah. I can catch up on all the stuff that I've missed And I've done that I've read every issue of Fantastic Four now yeah. Because I wanted to catch up on that That's such um, a good run uh, You're talking about the dance slot one uh, currently, yes. Yeah. And, and even before that, Jonathan Hickman. I, I jumped off okay. in the middle of Mark Wade's run. Right. And so I've been able to catch up on all of the stuff that's happened since. Yeah, yeah. And it's great. I love it.
0: Oh, yeah. I I, I love it too. I, I'm kind of edging towards that as well. I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of, of supporting the local comic book store as well. Um, I guess mm-hmm. the way to do that uh, is because I am... Collecting epic collections now. (laughs) Thank you, Curtis. (laughs) So, uh, doing a lot of them, um, but getting a lot of like private sales. But um, my LCS still still stocks. I'm very fortunate. Some of the um, the copies, which um, uh, apparently are are low on print or or next to to out of print, so um, that's very fortunate. And I guess supporting them through that. That was the reason why I was hanging on to um, single issues because um, just you know the industry and and you hear about it. um, Just being sure to, to support it, and, and I love reading the comics, like having the comics in your hands, but um, to be honest, I'd be more likely to go back and read a collected trade uh, you know, and reread that more than than to to sift through my long box and, and find a particular run, you know, just because it's a lot easier to, to pick something off the shelf than to kind of flick through <laughs> your long box.
1: That's my main, one of my main issues is like, I've got so many little boxes of comics here and mm. and I have these issues like of let's say this, the cosmic Spider-Man stuff but when I go to read it I have to dig through. Well, first of all, they were in storage, and because I don't have space for that, and I have to dig through it. I find the box that I want, pull out the box, flip yeah. through the box to find the issue that I want, take the issue out, take it out of the plastic, yeah. read twenty pages, yes. put it back in the plastic, get out the next one, take it out of the plastic, one. and you read another twenty pages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd I'd much rather just take a, a book off of my bookshelf and start flipping through it. Mm. And that's that's I, I have a, a nice big library. I'm fortunate to have a a house with a space that had, that I can have all of these books out and available and easy to access. Yeah. So I'm slowly starting to, as I get these epic collections of, of single issues that I have, I'm starting now to, to sell oh, those. To runs. Sell them.
0: Yes. I think I saw that and, on the, yeah, on the group that you were um, yeah saying that you're um, auditing and then kind of, um, yeah, selling them off, which is, which is a good idea. I think, I mean, they, they've yep. served their purpose. They've done their, their thing for you. And, and now you've got another version of it, which is cool. Um,
1: and I, I support my local comic shop as well. Like yeah, I, I definitely yeah. value that. Uh, mm. It's being in Vancouver, we're very fortunate to have a number of comic shops, and, awesome. and there have been quite a few that have closed down in the, over the last several years, wow. just yeah. because of you know the the online ordering age and yeah. the, just the comic book in general, it's comic book industry, the, the superhero side of it at least is taking mm. a downward turn in terms of sales and. And such, so a lot of them are hurting and turning towards things like selling Funko Pops and, and mm. more action figures and such. That's so right. I buy all of my epic collections through a through a, a local bookstore, mm-hmm. and then I try to give uh, a local comic shop that has just started up in a couple of years. They're called Eighth Dimension Comics. Uh, a number of uh, I try to buy stuff from them mm-hmm. so that to help them out because they're not as established as some of the other comic shops around town. Okay. So up until recently. I was collecting uh, Ducktales from oh, yes. IDW in single issues. Yes, because I'm a big fan of Ducktales. We'll get into that later yeah. as well, <laughs> and um, and and just because I also I wanted to have something in my pull box for them. Yeah, I also collected the single issues of Mark Wade's. History of the Marvel Universe miniseries. Ah, yeah. yeah. Which is so good. It is? <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Especially for fans of, of all of classic Marvel. The way he fits everything together. Yeah. Just great. The artwork is unbelievably magnificent. Yeah. And it's recently been collected in a treasure, treasury size edition. Oh, I which saw is that. Which larger than oversized. Have you that, got that? That artwork needs it. I haven't seen it in my hands yet, but if anything deserves a treasury edition, it's that. It's just is so so good, and
0: it's quite um, um, quite cyclical as well. I mean, you m- mentioning about the trading cards, that kind of got you in the yep. comics, and now the history of Marvel comics has kind of um, grabbed your interest. So, uh,
1: I eat that stuff up. I yeah. eat that stuff up, and there's I just love the history stuff. Um, I have, I, and I love the history of comics. Yeah, and the I, I have so many like old comic strip collections that date back to the early 1900s and um, wow when i say i love the old stuff i love the old stuff (laughs) yeah jeez i I buy a ton of old comics those are the only single issues uh like the bulk of other than the new those new two series which (coughs) pardon me which are which are actually over so i don't even collect those anymore yeah um i I buy a lot of old stuff that is not going to be reprinted anytime soon I've got a big collection of old Disney comics. So cool. I'll pick up the old Charlton or or Dell comics that, that uh, you know, you, you won't see these things collected because they're licensed properties or no one cares about them. Uh, yeah. I've got so much, like, really old stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it, nice. It, that's
0: great. That's great. I mean, yeah, that, that's cool. Uh, look, um, Looney's as well, we will get. We are, we are slowly edging towards Curtis's books and... Um, yeah, you know, a bit of a, I've got a couple of questions on Moon Knight here for you, Curtis, as well. But okay. it, it's such an interesting. No, I mean this talk is, is so interesting as well. I just wanted just before we get into that though, I just want to get your take on because I have seen you featured on um, it's a YouTube channel called Near Mid Condition with with Omar. Um, it's great. It's like mm-hmm. it's like watching Titans come together. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you got Curtis from the <laughs> Epic Marvel podcast, and you've got Omar. Um, you know, chatting away, knowing their stuff. Are you a big Omni, omnibus collector as well? And, and um, do you have much in, in your library?
1: I am not an omnibus collector at all. Okay. I my my opinion on that one is just that I think they're too big for me. Mm. I've got a lot of big books, and mm. I have to choose which big books I get carefully because I actually don't enjoy reading big books. Mm. They are a bit clunk- um,
0: clunky to read. I mean, so. okay. yeah,
1: yeah. I think the the epic collections are my sweet spot in terms mm. of uh, comfortable comfortability. <laughs> <laughs> the it's easy, They're easy enough to read. Mm-hmm. I also get intimidated with books that are more than five hundred pages. Even that mm. seems like you know I don't want to start it because I don't know if I'm going to finish it. Ah, so why yeah. bother starting it? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of old comic strip collections. Um, mm-hmm. I work for. Uh, the Library of American Comics, oh, which I okay. can get into later as well. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> um, I One of my picks uh, relates to that also. And so they put out these huge, huge books collecting old comic strips, like, D- you know, Dick Tracy, yeah. Little Orphan Annie, all of that kind of stuff. And those ones are almost too big for me as well. Oh. <laughs> In fact, the books that I work on currently um, are for better or for worse, and they are just huge. Yeah. I'm intimidated to read them myself, but... I, and for that reason, I don't get into those ones. Um, I completely appreciate those who do. I understand mm. the the love for them. Uh, the hardcovers are are fantastic, mm. and they're built really, really well. Yeah. And I'm happy that the restoration goes into it, the omnibus because these comics deserve to be. Uh, beautifully restored and preserved. Yeah. yeah, I mean, great paper quality and everything. I mean, you get yep. the you get the, yep. you get the really full good. package.
0: Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, it is a bit it is a bit hard to, to read. I, I've got the um, I recently got the um the Peter David volume one for the Hulk, um, which is great. I love. It. It's like something crazy, like thirteen hundred pages. Um, but I'm just like reading. Okay, if I read like a, an issue or so a night. Um, it's just something that's kind of bubbling away like you know for a long right. time and, yeah. I, and I'll read other things and, and that's just kind of like an ongoing thing but you know when you try to read it in bed and you're reading I guess the the, the beginning of it where the lump of all the weight is on is on your right hand side and you <laughs> you're trying to kind of flick the pages yeah it does get a bit um, bit awkward but uh, it, it's it's fun anyway I've only just recently got into that as well it's um yeah just collections in general. So, Curtis. Anyway, Moon Knight. I'd like to get your thoughts on that because your show, the Epic Marvel Podcast, has um, has reviewed, I believe, Volume Two: Shadows of the Moon, uh, and you have interviewed. Well, you've interviewed. My gosh, you've interviewed giants of the industry. Um, Moon Knight-related, Doug Mensch, you've interviewed him a few times. More recently with his Master of Kung Fu um involvement which is a a ripper of a a listen uh but Bill Sienkiewicz as well uh just take us take us through that I guess with the with Moon Knight um number one I guess how did you get I mean how familiar are you with him and and how did you find his his epic collection and and speaking to the uh creators
1: well really the only knowledge I had of Moon Knight were from the trading cards (laughs) (laughs) so i knew of him Mm -hmm. i've seen him pop up in issues as guest appearances um uh, here and there the the round robin Mm -hmm. storyline for instance yeah but i really never read much moon knight and and, but there here's one of the the benefits of the epic collections i told myself you know i'm all in when i'm buying the epic collections and yes. at the time, there were only five lines, <laughs> and <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, I can buy every single one of these." And <laughs> they kept adding characters and adding characters. I'm like, yeah. "Moon Knight is an epic collection now. Well, okay, I'll buy Moon Knight. Never yeah. read Moon Knight before, yeah. and it's great. I I actually have uh, episodes on the first two volumes.
0: First two. Oh yes, as well. Yeah. Of so course. you can
1: you can hear those, and I have interviews relating to Moon Knight, like you said, from Doug Mensch and Bill Sienkiewicz, and I have one from Ralph Macchio as mm. well. And uh, you can find those if you go to my website, epicmarvelpodcast.com. There's an index that I have, a link to an index at the top of the page. And you can find those interviews Mm. uh, and episodes fairly easily through that.
0: Yeah, the the, the Ralph Macchio one I found really interesting as well. Um, Just with him talking about, I guess, the... the, um original Inception for Moon Knight and, and the identities and and how it was more like Mark Spector being kind of like an actor, you know, and putting on these identities. It was never really meant to be quite a um, uh, an issue with his mental state, but that's kind of right. developed. Um, that's, yeah, that's along, how things evolve for yeah, sure. Yeah, which is really interesting to see um, Moon Knight start from, from beginning to, to where he's kind of currently now. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, also, yeah, as you mentioned, Round Robin, and the Spidey epic, that was, that was great as well. Very, very 90s, um, very different as well. Um, with the Mench run, though, I don't know, because you've read so many uh, different titles and, and, and epic collections and different eras. Um, do you get the sense as well? I get the sense that there's, there's something quite unique about Mench's run, considering when it was written. Um, it just seems a little... I don't know. I mean, I've been reading the, the 70s Spidey stuff as well, and, and like Daredevil. Um, Do mm-hmm. you, you find that at all? Or like, Manch is a particular writer? He, the way he writes is, is quite different?
1: It is, definitely. Now, he gets his start in the old EC comics. Mm. Uh, he was a, and, um, and for Warren Publishing, he did a lot of short stories for the horror stuff. Yeah, right. And so that's really, you can see that influence. Once he moved over to Marvel, Mm. he was still gravitating more toward the horror stuff. In in the Master of Kung Fu uh, interview, he says that he prefers the titles that are not standard superheroes. And so that's why he thrived in in Master of Kung Fu. um, And also why he thrived in Werewolf by Night. And because those are just... Those are more up his wheelhouse, I guess, doing the, the stories that are not superhero yes. related. Uh, and so when you get to, to Moon Knight, you also get a very sort of non-superhero sense to his storytelling. They're yeah. way more personal. They're way more uh, grounded, I think. They're, you don't have space aliens and... Yeah and over-the-top superpowers or anything. Even Moon Knight himself is not really a superhero kind of a superhero. Everything's ambiguous with him, really, uh, until a yeah. bit later on. Yeah. And it's great. I, I love it. It is very different from what you would get in a typical Marvel comic in the 70s, for mm. sure.
0: Have you read any further beyond um, those three epics? I mean, like, uh, into the 90s with Mark Spector Moon Knight, or have you read any more recent Moon Knight?
1: I haven't. No, I haven't read anything else. And Um, so, um, that's, I'm hoping that the epic collections will spill into the Mark Spector era. And I'll definitely read read those. And, uh. When to have some time i i have marvel unlimited yes. so i guess i should uh w- what what do you think which is the run the modern run that i should read
0: <laughs> yeah i was about that i was about to say i already had a few queued up in my head because um, i remember <laughs> you got marvel <laughs> unlimited uh, i reckon look loonies will tell you a lot of different things i think first off check out the 2014 warren ellis um brian yeah. wood and then colin bunn run um just kind of get a little little taste of, of, of Moon Knight in the modern kind of era and how he's kind of reimagined, uh, yeah. And then and then maybe go to the to the Houston Houston run and then and then Lemire because Lemire quite. I think Lemire you really need a bit more. Well, you've read the earlier stuff, but you need a bit more knowledge of Moon Knight
1: before uh, getting into the Lemire one because he references a lot. Um, mm, okay. Yeah. Now is that the run where he kind of he's wearing like a suit and doesn't have the hood?
0: Yeah, that's a Warren Ellis one. So he... he the world okay. Uh, yeah, I think he invented... It. Mr. Knight. It's very noir, kind of detective. Um, that's the one that's interested me the most. It's good, yeah. It's good. Okay. Uh, and, and I think it's um, it's kind of become like he, he's got another identity in that. Um, so uh, it's very different. Um, it kind of reminds me a little of the, the Hulk. I mean, the Hulk's got
1: all these different identities now. Yeah. Um, they're just reading, In fact, yeah, Immortal Hulk. Yeah. I've been reading that one; it's fantastic. It's very it, it good. It is very, very much playing off of the uh, the, the the whole multiple personality yes. disorder. Yeah, yeah, very, very good stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, I reckon Doug manch would
0: probably dig that title as well. He's so like horror driven. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, um, cool. Well, how about? Curtis um, if you finished um, the the tasty snacks that Samuels has mm-hmm. given us and the oh, drink, yeah. very good. Uh, how about we steal ourselves and uh, we will head off to uh, to another location to start um, your Isle of Ra books. How's that?
1: Well, I was kind of hoping that we would meet Marlene, but uh, if we can't, we've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> you are the second second guess? Who said that? Um, look, yeah, Marlene, she's she's
0: wonderful. Um, yeah, definitely. Hopefully, maybe one day. <laughs> um, but why not? Let's uh, let's jump into the mooncopter and we'll we'll fly away and we'll take a short break, loonies. And when we come back, we will talk all about Curtis's Isla books. Catch you then.
1: We are Venomaniacs, is the Venom site official podcast for all of your symbiote news, reviews, and point of views about Venom-related comics, movies, television, animation, and merchandise.
0: We are available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Google Play Music, and YouTube.
1: Join us, won't you? Hi guys, this is the Completely Inappropriate Podcast. I am Tony and this is... Frank. Do you like having inappropriate conversations? Yeah. Yeah, no shit. That's why we have the Completely Inappropriate Podcast. We like to talk a lot of If <laughs> you need a place where you can have completely inappropriate conversations in your ear holes, then come to us and let us fill them up. Every Monday and Wednesday, wherever podcasts are available. So this is the Completely Inappropriate Podcast with Tony and... Frank. Reminding you to
0: the of it
1: and find your happy people.
0: Yes, welcome back, Looney listeners. You are listening to episode 137 of Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. This is our Isla Ra Sessions and it's a little brisk here. Um, I am here with Curtis Finlay's very special guest from Epic Marvel Podcast. We're going through his books. And um, and Curtis Frenchie has dropped us off um, of all places. Uh, you can hear the Peruvian music. There's a, a few <laughs> llamas kind of bleating. Um, but we are up in the mountaintops here. We're in the temple of Mancú Capac, <laughs> um, past the uh, the lake Titicucu. <laughs> and um and kind of just kind of near Machu Picchu. So so we're up here um uh, you know the air is fresh. Uh, Curtis has a very Peruvian garb on. Uh, I'm not sure what they call, the ponchos or, or such. <laughs> I think um, ponchos about right. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, so I got it at, at
1: this uh, street vendor uh, a few <laughs> yeah. years ago when I was here last time and uh, and I will try to wear it every time I come back.
0: Excellent. Well, you're looking pretty swish there, Curtis. I've got a uh, yeah, I've got my, my boots and my, my stick with me as well. So anyway, while we're here, um, why don't we get into it? And happy to say, ranked number four, we'll out of Curtis's book, um, you have chosen 1990s Dick Tracy number three. Mm-hmm. So this was a this was a cool one. I mean. Um, Hold onto your hats, loonies! There are some nice, diverse comics coming up ahead. Um, so, yeah, this is this is cool. Uh, take us through uh, why you chose this one, Curtis.
1: Okay, so your question, when you asked me, what are the four comics if you were, you know, stuck on a desert island, the ones that mm-hmm. you would want to read over and over again? That's a, such a hard question. <laughs> it is, isn't and it? it's like, oh man, I need to some, I need to have comics that have some substantial substance to them mm-hmm. uh, in order to, to, to be able to reread them over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's... I, I can't just... A lot of modern comics, it's like if I choose one single issue, it's only one part of a six-part story. That's not going to work. True. Um, and so what are the issues that would uh, keep me interested all this time? Mm-hmm. So Dick Tracy, number three, I chose because i am one of the things i'm a huge fan of i've mentioned this before is classic comic strips i love classic comic strips they're so great i have a a whole ton of these dick tracy books and they they're just wonderful uh, they they it's gangster shoot 'em up gangster detective stories written when that stuff was actually happening dick tracy started in 1927 and uh and so the the stories, a lot of them were just literally ripped from the headlines. And then, <laughs> then he got into his phase where he started coming up with these bizarre, grotesque villains—a a Batman yeah. rogue gallery kind of ish, kind of a, a, a of a, a vill- villains gallery—and mm. and they're just great fun but I can't I couldn't put one of those books on my list because it didn't fit your criteria so I chose Dick Tracy number three which is an adaptation of the Warren Beatty movie that came out in the yes. 90s
0: yeah what did you think of the, the movie itself being a fan of the comic like I mean not, not this particular
1: I mean Dick Tracy in general um, I like the I like the movie a lot. A lot of it has to do with nostalgia because I loved it when I was a kid. Mm. That movie was so big in 1990, and <laughs> I remember the I just remember all of the the hubbub around it. And my yeah. brother that year for Halloween was Dick Tracy. Oh, cool! Um, yeah, it was <laughs> really cool. And, and I remember the the toys that came out and the the promotions that went along with it. And I I just ate it up. Yeah. And I, that was before I even knew. The comic strips. In fact, the, the movie is what inspired me to seek out the comic strips as, as well. I found a copy of a book, I think it's called Dick Tracy Case Files, at the mm-hmm. library that had a whole bunch of old Dick Tracy stories in it. Right. And, I, and that par- partly put me on my path to, to learning more about the old comic strips and getting more involved with them. And, and, and this comic in particular was one that my brother and I had when we were kids. I, I don't remember where we got it. Probably got it because of the movie at, at some point. <laughs> yep. and, and I read it over and over again. And it's a thick book. It's like, yeah. I don't know, 90 pages or so. And it's a, it's a really good adaptation of the film, which I think is a really good adaptation of the comic strip. Now, yep. the, the movie plays up the campiness of it. Yes, and plays up the you know the wild. It has the wild colors yes. in the background. That's the how buildings I it. have all these yeah. reds and greens and blues and
0: whatnot. And just, and, and just Dick Tracy's yellow um, was very striking. I just
1: remembered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that. Uh, but I, I loved it as a kid, and at that time, comic book movies weren't a thing. Mm, absolutely they, not. They, yeah. they, nobody put any stock in other than superman nobody put any stock into making comic book movies batman had come out the year before that and was an unexpected success yeah and so when warren Beatty took control of this movie he's like i want to make it look like a comic book and how do you make it look like a comic book you bathe it in all these garish colors (laughs) to, to, to make it look like a comic book which is funny because dick tracy the comic strip it was all in black and white. Black and white. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Except for the Sundays, which were in color, but it had a very modest color palette. Yes. It didn't look like what Warren Beatty had evolved the comic book into. So, but I didn't care. I didn't know anything more than, than that. And so I think nostalgia yeah. really plays high for me for this movie. I don't know if people who watch it today for the first time enjoy it, but yeah. I sure enjoy it. I love it.
0: Yeah, I'd love to re-watch it as well. I mean, I saw it back in the day. I think I saw it in the movies as well. And I remember the whole hubbub about it. I mean, big stars, Warren Beatty, Madonna as well as in it. So um, it did generate a lot of groundswell. And, and I, I guess the success of Batman the year before would have played some part in in um, getting this um, produced as a movie and, and, and having studios find interest in doing it. Um, yeah, I had come across dick tracy only in the comic uh, only in the newspaper strips um you know in our weekend paper um so i only just fleetingly kind of read it amongst other comic strips and then when i heard about this uh, movie it was uh, i was like oh that's pretty cool um and, mm-hmm. and funny that you mentioned about the colors because yeah that's so true it, it actually reminds me just in my mind um, i'm playing it with um, I don't know if you ever watched the Flash TV show back in the '90s. It was around this time yep. as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. very, very colorful. Like, if you ever watch that again, that's like ultra dated because the sets <laughs> and everything were just so vibrant, big colors. I can imagine that would be what what is happening like here in the Dick Tracy movie. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to look it up and, and watch it again. Um, and also as well, you mentioned the rogues' galleries. That was most memorable for me for the movie. Um, yeah. Just seeing there the, the makeup with all their, um, you know, their prune face and, and mumbles as well and, and all that. Um, interesting that this is issue three, though, uh, Curtis, right? Because this is literally kind of the whole movie, right? I mean, this is the adaptation yeah. of the whole movie. So what was... Do, do you know what was um, before in issues one and two?
1: So issue one and two are, uh, like, prequel comics, basically. Okay. They, uh, they come... Yeah, they, they tell the story before the movie, and a lot of the threads that are already going on in the movie, like with Big Boy's Casino and his relationship with um, uh, with uh, Big Mouth and mm-hmm. um, or Bad Boy, Big Big Boy, <laughs> I get them all mixed <laughs> up uh, because they all have ridiculous names and such. But uh, all of this, all of those threads are started in the first two issues, and they are they're they're good too. And I, but I didn't. Want to pick those because I like the movie, so I picked issue number three. Uh, the The first one, they're they're both illustrated by um, Kyle Baker as well, and they're written by uh, John Francis Moore, who I think had a run on um, X Factor in the '90s.
0: Oh, okay, right.
1: Um, he's the one who you know he put Mystique on the team and and uh, and such, got Havoc back involved with them and. And, uh, yeah, so this this one, though, the adaptation, it's it's adapted by the same two people, and they do a really, really good job. And I have to speak about Kyle Baker's artwork because it is so different than what you would typically find in a comic like this. He is an alternative artist, uh, did a lot of underground stuff for um, a DC imprint called Paradox Press when DC was kind of getting into the more alternative comics or underground comics Kyle Baker did a couple of books for them one was called why I hate Saturn another one was like cowboy Wally show and they're just very strange offbeat comics that are they're they're both I love them both a lot they're not for everybody they're very specific in their style of humor and their style of art but if you're looking for something different definitely check out those uh, Kyle Baker has this uh, style that's very '90s graphic. If you can understand what that means, oh. <laughs> it, 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 it follows a lot of the trends oh. of of just modern graphic style of the '90s with okay. the huge, um, angular kind of uh, style. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of open spaces and. Uh, yeah, I, I don't even know how to explain it, really. You have to see it to to understand. But it fits. It does, actually. I
0: mean, when I first looked at it, I mean, um, when I was looking at the copy of Issue 3 and, and the front covers, very much kind of a Warren Beatty-looking, Dick Tracy, um, yep. kind of very movie-polished um, poster – uh, then going into the the first couple of pages, like oh okay, this is going to be a different. This is this is a very kind of underground-looking comic, um, but there is a certain certain charm to it um, because yeah, I mean the characters are, are are larger than life. I mean I'm looking at flat top mm-hmm. and I'm looking at all the other was the other one? Wrinkles or something? Um, the, the brow. Uh, the brow. That's it.
1: The brow. Oh, prune prune face. You're thinking a prune face and yeah. prune face as well,
0: <laughs> and a little face. I mean, it's just just hilarious. Um, but there is a yeah. It is a very. Um, it's hard to describe. It, it's uh, very um, stylized. It, it's kind of. Um, Kind of simplified as well, but uh, in yep. no way does that detract it at all. It has this kind of very old school feel to it, and the colours are very. I feel. Um, I mean, they don't try to do too much. They're kind of nice, vibrant, flat colours, um, so they kind of give that kind of sense as well. They, that add that style to the to the um, to the panels. Um, but yeah, no, uh, the art was one of the the big things I wanted to to. Um, Um, to raise here Um, very much enjoyed it Uh, i recognized uh it all came back to me as i was reading this curtis like um, oh good (laughs) al pacino wasn't he he was an yeah was he he was big boy or or he's big boy yeah Yeah. it's like oh yeah i remember him he had the uh the, the the big nose and the um the mustache and stuff um and the kid as well now do you remember who the who the kid was by any chance. The actor? In the m- yeah. I don't know the
1: actor's name, but he... Uh, I think he's a lawyer now.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think
1: he went on to do any big movies or anything. Okay. But, yeah, uh, yeah he, he, uh, he was a good part of the movie and... Yes, because um, I
0: remember him as well, yeah. I think yeah. Robert
1: De Niro's in it also.
0: Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, and well, super big Yeah, there's,
1: there's just uh, some great things with the movie. And, yeah, like you say, the, the colors in it uh, are, are very specific and And they work definitely to to give a nod to the way the movie looks, but it also creates a, a great visual style uh, for for the comic book. And like you said, the 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 comics the, the art style is stylized and simplified. Mm. and the the flat colors really accent that to give it a more old school four color kind of look to it, um, which is which is great because Dick Tracy itself is an old is an old comic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chester Gould, the original Dick Tracy creator and artist and writer, he has a very very stylized look as well. And it's very specific to to the the period that he was doing comics. And so to have Kyle Baker have a a version of Dick Tracy that is I would say is sort of a blend between what Chester Gould did, the 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 stylized nature of of Chester Gould's work plus bending it a little bit more toward the realism for the for the movie universe Mm. Uh, it's a perfect blend i i think it, it works incredibly well for this style and kyle baker himself just has a really really good sense of storytelling and composition in his pages and i think of the first two pages you mentioned the first two pages where all you see in the first page is dick tracy picking up his effects off of his desk getting ready for going to work yeah and then the second page, or maybe it's the third page, I can't remember, of, of him uh, in the movie theater getting a call, and he has to step out of the movie theater, and you just see his silhouette. It's a fixed camera shot, It, it told in six panels, of him leaving the, the movie theater. And it's, it's just great, great staging, and Kyle Baker is really good at that.
0: It is good as well because he he, he actually he um, restricts it to yeah of, of the staging within the panels without having to really um, add any extra flourish to the layout of the panels because the panels exactly. are pretty pretty conventional um, yeah so there's nothing um, but it's what he does like within each of the panels um, he moves the, I, I guess you call it the camera and stuff around and um, so no really cool he, he doesn't he doesn't mind playing with um with perspectives as well uh, which is which is good it does have that um what would you call it it's um uh, there was a an art art term for it um is it expressionism Where the, the, the perspective isn't isn't correct but you get the oh sense yeah of it. i
1: don't know what the yeah. exact term is on that one but yeah i know what you're talking about where he he plays with the 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 extremes and what was just the great thing about comics is you can do that and it's acceptable <laughs> it's it works
0: yeah and you, and you can actually get the shot that you kind of want because in reality if you, you stick a camera in that you're not going to see everything because you know just the way the eye works and everything so yeah. um yeah so it's it's really cool it does take some um <laughs> some li- and, and this it doesn't you know it doesn't shy away from a little bit of violence as well um, I was just looking oh, yeah. through here that one of the police officers just gets blatantly shot in the back. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, who was the other, that other dude? Uh, he was having a shower. Um, he, he um, The concrete mixer from Big Boy as well. So all these kind of very really gangland um, touches are very cool. Um,
1: yeah, I, I, wanna, I, I have to make a correction. I, I the, the, adap- the adaptation here is written by Len Wein. Oh, Len I, I thought Yeah, John Francis Moore did the first two issues, but Len Wein did th- this adaptation here. So I ah. just want to make that c- uh, correction there. And one of the interesting things I think is, is fascinating about this one, is, and uh, you probably didn't even notice this when you were reading, but there's no narration. Oh, there are no what? narrative boxes at all to indicate what's going on or to change the scene or you know like the next day even or anything like that there's nothing it's all just dialogue and the pacing is all dictated by the flow of the panels it's really really neat and so you get a real sense of of the cinematic quality of this of this book because of that i think
0: Oh no, it, for sure as well. I was just thinking because I like, wouldn't the first didn't the first two pages have no, but it was actually uh, the radio, right? So the radio, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. instead of doing that. So um, yeah, no, I thought actually it was very very well written um, without cluttering it up with too much dialogue because I guess it'd be one of the traps would be if you do an adaptation um, to try and fit everything in um, with what what the movie kind of does. Um, so there's enough room there for. Um, for the art to actually tell tell the story there are actually a couple of uh, especially I guess towards the the faceless person the mystery person that we see later on Um, Mm -hmm. there's uh, just it lets the visuals do do the um, do the work rather than actually having to tell the story Um, but yeah no really cool and uh, I think just finally here I'm just trying to find her name she was the uh, the Madonna um, Breathless Breathless that's that's right. Um you know, pretty uh some pretty steamy stuff, pretty steamy um dialogue between the two, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, her her character is one of the main reasons why I haven't shown this movie to my boys yet. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Gets a little intense <laughs> in the in the movie.
0: It does and um my gosh, Dick Tracy, he's he's um, quite the upstanding guy. She she pretty much throws herself at him, um but he he's in love
1: with someone else. Um, yep, Miss Trueheart.
0: Is that her name?
1: <laughs> yep, Tess Tess Trueheart. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. man. You, if you haven't read the comics, you got to read the comics because there's just some fantastic stuff in there. You got to seek out um, the any of the stories from the 1940s. It's, okay. it's Chester Gould's best period, and the it's just wall to wall action. The violence is over the top, and, and you know it, it's a comic strip, so it's not going to be like ultra gory or anything. But but Dick Tracy. Is way more of a a rough-em-up, hard-knocks, like, uh, just guns-blazing kind of a character than Warren Beatty makes him out to be in the the movie, that's for sure.
0: Okay, yeah, because he's very, and in this issue as well, and this was the, right, this was the impression that I got in the movie, that... Okay, Dick Tracy. I always was trying to figure out. Okay, so what what is his thing, you know? Uh, he's got that that watch that is like a bit of a radio, that's cool. He's got that yep. gadget. But what is it? And it seemed like in the movie it built up with it built up to him Getting that kind of machine gun and just going at it, you know. Um, but that was about it. All he did, yeah. You know, he did, he had a few scuffles here and there, um, but it's 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 uh, encouraging to know that in in the comics he does kind of <laughs> let loose a little bit more. <laughs> yep. um, not to say that I didn't enjoy this at all. No, this was this was really cool. Um, uh, but I remember that from the movie, and I remember thinking when I was watching the movie, it's like, okay, so what is he going to do? Like, because you know, I was I was you know quite young as well, and wanting to know what's his comic book thing. <laughs> but um. Well,
1: I compare him to the Batman movies. Yeah. In the sense that the the movies are always more about the villains than they are about yeah. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. And so True. Dick Tracy's that way as the movie is that way as well. It's way more about the villains and about the, the other characters than it is even about Dick Tracy himself. But if you go read the comics, the original comics, then you'll get a much better sense. Dick Tracy's a pretty different character there. Um, yeah. and it's just Way over the top, fun—that's for sure.
0: That's awesome. Um, Oh, actually, I see. uh, Funnily enough, we are at this temple, and you will understand, Loonies, why we are at this temple. But uh, there's a car pulling up there, Curtis. I see um, a little bit of a fracas there. There's there's flat top. <laughs> distinguishable Uh-oh. um oh, a few shots being fired here let's uh, let, let's uh, run around yeah, the corner let's get out of here. <laughs> and uh let's let's have a look um behind the great temple uh, okay okay we're okay now okay bullets flying i think we're safe they're gone um let's look onto your number 3 book here and uh the reason why we're here is because of Anka Scrooge, 219, from the year 1953. Um, another cool... Uh, you mentioned before collecting, being a, a fan of DuckTales, Curtis, so um, I guess no questions as to why you picked this one, but why this why this issue in particular?
1: Well, this... Uh, 1953 is... This comic is actually from 1987. This particular story oh. is from 1987. Oh, okay. Um the The character though Scrooge dates back uh, way way longer than that to the '40s, and so he's had a long long history. Uh, one of my favorite cartoons growing up was Ducktales. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I just I just loved that show so much. And can, that-
0: can I Sorry, Curtis, can I ask? Have you got Disney Plus now? I'm sure you do
1: oh yeah I do and (laughs) it's it's great I I mean I've had the DVDs and it's been nice to revisit the episodes that uh, have not been on DVD and um, and I love the new DuckTales show that's out too it's just Mm -hmm. it's really really great also love watching that one with my boys (laughs) and I've been a big fan because of that show I've been a big fan of the comic books for a long long time Mm -hmm. and Uncle Scrooge has a a huge comic strip or comic book history Mm -hmm. dating back way way far and um, he's actually really, really popular in Europe. Right. He, yeah. He's huge popular in Europe, and so the, to this day, there aren't very many Uncle Scrooge comic books made in the United States uh, oh, of okay. new material, at least. But in in the in the UK and in in certain Scandinavian countries, yes. a lot of Uncle Scrooge new Uncle Scrooge comics are being made. And so this comic, though in particular, mm-hmm. I chose because it is the very first story by a guy named Don Rosa. Okay. And he was a guy who was a huge fan of Carl Barks, the guy who came up with uh, Uncle Scrooge and his universe, mm-hmm. uh, the whole the whole concept of Duckburg and such. And so Carl uh, Barks retired from comics, and Don Rosa sort of took up the reins of telling S- Uncle Scrooge stories in the style of Carl Barks and kind okay. of keeping that... that whole legacy alive right and this story is his first story and the, the legend goes that uh, Don Rosa said you need to do more Karl Barks type stories and I'm the guy to do it very presumptuous to the editor of this comic book yeah, wow. and, said, okay. and then the editor said you you, you know what, if you want to do it then do it and so Don Rosa did his very first story submitted it to the editor and that's this story here Right, and and it went on to win uh, a Hugo Award for best. I can't remember what it is—best single issue of the year or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot a lot in there which
0: I I can see. and I wonder if these are the attributes of, um, of you know, these typical DuckTale um, stories. But, you know, there's a lot of humour injected in it. I mean, people are, are used to, well, at least seeing or knowing of, like, Donald Duck. Um, and the the nephews, Huey, Dewey and Louie, is that it? Yep, yep. that's right. Yeah. Um, as well, but there are little things like um, obviously his, his, his uh, rivalry with, with Glomgold, um, but there's a little bit of uh, educational stuff. Uh, am, is that, am I correct in that, or, or is that made up? It seems like <laughs> no, it's, it's like. It's true.
1: Yeah. He does a lot of. Uh, no, a lot of the history is all made up history, but Don Rosa especially did a lot of research to make sure that things like the land, this Peruvian land that, he, that he's made up. Is actually uh, steeped in some sort of truth, and uh, and I think I don't know if the treasure itself is based on an actual myth. I'm pretty sure it is, but it's not the actual myth itself. Sure. Okay. Okay.
0: So just loosely based on it, but this was a, a really I found this a really enjoyable read. Um, yeah, had a bit of the action as well. Art wise, it, it's it's. It's kind of what it says on the tin, right? Because you'd expect these characters to look like they they look because of the, the animated and the cartoon and the history of it all. Um, yep. So it doesn't deviate from that at all. Um, Donald Duck very much looks
1: like Donald Duck and, and everyone else. Yep. Um, but Don Rosa himself, though, is a fantastic artist. He puts a lot of detail into his backgrounds. and doesn't he does, not he? It, yeah. He's like the opposite of Kyle Baker in, whereas <laughs> Kyle Baker will only put in details if they're needed. Uh, Don Rosa goes over the top with his details and puts a lot of shading and puts a lot of cross hatching and and little dirt and will fill his his backgrounds, especially these first few pages when we're looking into into Uncle Scrooge's uh, museum. Uh, there's just so many artifacts in the background, and all of those artifacts are items from old Carl Barks stories of treasures that Scrooge has found in other stories. A lot of Easter eggs there.
0: Yeah, okay, All right. Uh, no, that was a lot of fun to see, stuff at the back. I mean, and, you know, a lot of them touch on with, um, you know, the historical Genghis Khan, Jason's yep. Golden Fleece, um, stuff like that. So, um, no, that, that's really good as well. Uh, and so this basically becomes a... Um, a little competition between Uncle Scrooge and Glum Gold, um, into who is the better, um, what is it, explorer? Um, yeah, dis- treasure discoverer. hunter, I guess. Treasure, treasure, hun- treasure hunter, yeah. yeah. Um, and so they, they head off to, uh, to Peru. Um, Mancu Capac, which I think Mancu. is Ma-Maku. Manchu Picchu. Yes, yeah. Um, not before going um, above, like, Titicucu which I just love the name, so i <laughs> say it <that> again. <laughs> um, meets, meets a grizzled old um, Peruvian person there as well. Um, and, yeah, the, the funny bit that I really loved about this was um, because Uncle Scrooge gets taken out of the picture, so it would seem, um, quite... Um, you, you know, quite flamboyantly with, with the the plane kind of um, yep. going That's out right. of sorts and just uh, um, tearing apart, um, and the others land there. They meet um, they meet Glomgold and, and they go through this kind of long lengthy journey to get to the temple, and it turns out that Uncle Scrooge has actually just landed there. Was that like weeks, weeks <laughs> ago or something? Yep. Um, so we're talking about, yeah, they, they go through, they cross this bridge and um, they go across a mountainside and, and, and all that. Um, but yeah, so they reach the Temple of Manco Capac, the Son of the Sun and Keeper of the Inca Gold. So it's all about, all about finding this gold and the treasure. Um, and uh, it kind of sets that up really well, I think, because uh, Glomgold is there. They're trying to, uh, he actually finds something a lot more valuable um, because you think that Scrooge is the one that um, that is found. Not, like they stumble on... Oh, no, sorry. Is that... Um, I forgot that wrong. No, it was Glomgold. So... Yeah, Glom... Yeah, found...
1: Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Scrooge found the treasure. Glomgold finds this other thing, this wheel with all of these, these yes. rubies and stuff and the gems in it. But the the thing about the storytelling and especially with their rivalry, is the one-upmanship that happens throughout the issue. It's like they're always trying to stay one step ahead. And, of course, you know that Scrooge always comes out on top in the end. Um, and there's always that that little twist of, you know, how is this person going to come up out on top? And that happens several times throughout this whole story. It's like Scrooge has found the the gold, but Glomgold figures out, out, out of way why... It actually belongs to him, and then Scrooge finds out, figures out a way to figure out why the the gold actually belongs to him in some sort of bureaucratic loophole, and and it, it it's just the the style and sense of humor is fantastic. It it works so well. It's funny, and there's a great sense of adventure. The reason why I picked this story is because it has a little bit of everything in it. Mm, it I certainly does. I think I generally lean toward more of the funny stuff um and so the, i love the sense of humor in this but there's still a great sense of adventure a great story uh, well thought out uh, resolution and you talked about that grizzled peruvian guy at the beginning the reason he's there is to set up the end gag and yes. it, the whole story sort of comes full circle and it's just a wonderful way to end <laughs> end the story
0: yeah, no, it's really good, and and um, talking about comedy and and, and all that, the humor, uh, poor Donald Duck seems to be the butt of uh, a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the jokes. He seems to be like the the dare I say the dim witted one, as opposed to Uncle Scrooge and and his nephews. Um yep. So uh, it's always fun to see Donald um, try to try to achieve stuff. Uh, but yeah, again, as you say, there's a lot of stuff in here. I think very clever that the way this this um, jewel encrusted wheel kind of just pop, <laughs> pops off and it, it falls onto that geyser, which yep. <laughs> which just forms a, a little bit of a pressure pressure pot in the whole temple. <laughs> uh, so it yeah, it's just wacky stuff. Um, and they they kind of uh, do they? Hang on, there's a thing. Yeah, the thing blows up. Does uh, I just can't remember if um, Uncle Scrooge makes away with any of the treasure? He he doesn't.
1: Well, the whole thing. Yeah, the, the If you want the spoiler alert, if you, yeah. um the whole, the whole temple, uh, treasure and everything blows out of the this volcano, um, yes. and goes flying into this lake, and gets sunk to the bottom of the lake. And it so happened that earlier Scrooge had bought that. Oh, that's lake. right. Yes, for uh, so that's for right. a dollar yeah. so he owned everything in the lake which now included this temple and all of the treasure <laughs> oh, you got to feel for Glomgold, really there, there was a point
0: yep. um there was a point there where i mean i'm still going for uncle scrooge but um, he was really clutching at straws, you know with that that jewel encrusted wheel or he goes, Oh, there's gold at yep. the back of it, uh, so this is right's mine, and I'm thinking, no Scrooge no you're really you're really stretching it there, but <laughs> um yeah, but that clincher at the end was pretty funny, so um yeah, no, really, really good read as well, and you mentioned you collected the the i d w um one so that went on for um i mean, you mentioned before about the the uncle Scrooge books being mm-hmm. not printed that often these days. Um, when did did that wrap up? Recently, did it, or the IDW? So the
1: the, the history of Disney comics is a really long and convoluted one because it, Disney, would it, they jumped from publisher to publisher throughout the years. And so there would be times when uh, it, the publisher would wrap up their run on there and they wouldn't have the license anymore. And there would be a few years break between that and when when the the new licensor would go into play and and uh, and so by the time it got to Gladstone Uncle Scrooge Comics had already been through a few different companies but they keep, kept the same numbering so this one is issue number 219 even though it's probably only the maybe the 20th issue of Gladstone's Uncle Scrooge
0: oh uh-huh.
1: okay uh, more recently yeah <laughs> I- IDW yeah. had the license to Uncle Scrooge and I can't remember what number they're up to number 400 or something now and but they decided that it wasn't selling as well as they wanted to, so they they stopped it. Um, there was a Ducktales comic that IDW did that was based on the TV show characters and the TV show stories. That's the one that I, that's the one that I collected. Okay, so sorry, are they different from the? They they are different, yeah, because the TV show has uh, their own character designs. They have uh, their own set of stories, their own universe that they're creating to tell stories, and so th- those comics, the Ducktales ones, are completely based on the adventures of the new cartoon series. Um, and then there is a separate comic series that IDW was doing called Uncle Scrooge, which was based on the comics, uh, based on you know these stories of this type of this style of Uncle Scrooge, and most of those stories were were translated stories brought to North America for the first time um then they were all created in Europe and that's I think that title has been canceled as well actually so I don't know I don't know where Uncle Scrooge is being reprinted at the moment <laughs> but Disney comics are fairly easy to find in the back issue bins in the dollar bins they
0: okay.
1: they're not they're not hard to find uh,
0: are there any collected editions uh, o- of them that you know of
1: um. yeah so Fantagraphics has the license to do all of the old Carl Barks Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck stories he's pretty much regarded as the, the the top guy when it comes to Disney comics and he did comics from I can't remember the exact dates from like the 30s to the the late 30s to the 70s I think is when he stopped or maybe no I think actually maybe it was the 50s but anyway he was very very prolific during that time the IDW series, the Carl Barks Library, is also fantastic in that they are publishing their volumes out of order, just like the Epic Collections. And so they, you know, and, and the continuity is not important in those old comics anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So you can pick up any volume and dive right in and have a great time. So they're, I think that, that the whole series is going to be like 30 volumes. And they've got, they, I think they're just over halfway Maybe now? Maybe they're 14 or 15 volumes?
0: Yeah, I mean, because I can't imagine, like, as you mentioned, I can't imagine there being long, sweeping arcs and stuff.
1: No. No. Uh, there's not. If... They're all short stories. Yeah. They're all either 10 pages or 20 page stories. And and sometimes there's continuity. Some characters will come back or they'll revisit a place, but there's no continuity, really. Uh Founder Graphics also does 10 volumes of Don Rosa's stories, Duck okay. stories. Yeah, and that's the complete series, the complete Don Rosa series, and th- a lot of those stories continue from Carl Barks's stories. Like they'll revisit the same stories and characters and locations, but again, you can pick up any volume and yeah, and be okay with it.
0: That's good. I mean, that, and that's a great thing about it as well. You don't, you don't have yep. to. Do, I mean, the weight of of um, wanting to crack into comics. Um, let alone where to start in the big two Uh, it seems quite daunting for a lot of people so it's quite refreshing to just be able to yeah i'm just going to pick it whatever just read that and that's good um yeah yeah. anyway i I think um i think curtis it's probably time that we go into your your top two your last two um so before we go on to a a little break. We have another mode of transport here, and and our um our pilot. Yes, it's uh, it's Scrooge McDuck. Hello, how are you?
1: Oh right, oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a good surprise. Yeah, he's flown back um, after acquiring Lake Titicaca.
1: Good riddance to bad beagles, I say.
0: And uh, and and all the stuff in the you know he's he's decked out now with a lot of money. Uh, he always has been. And he's gonna fly us off to our next destination. So um you, you got your rucksack, Curtis, you ready to go?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, based on his flying his comic, <laughs> I'm not too thrilled to be getting on this plane, but uh, I guess we'll go for it. No, just hold your horses.
0: Exactly. Let's just we'll just double check our seat belts and let's hope that <laughs> they, they, they hold. So Looney's um when we come back on the other side of this break. Uh, We'll be looking at Curtis's top two books. Catch you then.
1: Hey there, everyone. I'd like to tell you about the YouTube channel I Am Your Target Demographic. If you're a fan of comics, we have plenty that you'll enjoy over there, including a series called Heroes Like Us that explores comic characters of all sorts of different identities. And we even have a series that defines words that are used in nerd culture that you may not know what they mean. So, you can check us out by heading to YouTube and searching I Am Your Target Demographic or look up IAYTD on any social media outlet. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Brian. And we are the hosts of Inner Demons, the Ghost Rider podcast. And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast apps for all your Ghost Rider needs. Right on.
0: Looney listeners, we are back. This is the Isla Ra Sessions on Into the Night. And I am with very special guest Curtis Finlay. And we are going through his Desert Island books. We have gone through his um, uh, other picks. Dick Tracy, issue 3. And Uncle Scrooge, issue 219. And we are up the last two here. Um, We are... you can probably hear Curtis playing space invaders in the background um we're just you know sitting here at uh Saviour's school for gifted youngsters and uh, we're just we're just taking a, a bit of a, a bit of a break because peru was a was a little hectic with flat top and all and scrooge McDuck's flying and we're here um just to talk about curtis's other two books curtis are you um how you going there have you um have you ordered the pizza as well
1: well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I just gotta finish this last. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, oh man, they're going so fast. Okay, hold on. Oh <laughs> man, oh. I. Okay. Uh, do you have any qu- more quarters? Um, I, I think I
0: do. Uh hang on. Um we can also if we need to, we can pinch some of Colossus's from his um his jar. <laughs> <Sorry>. Okay, cool. <laughs> he doesn't mind, he never counts it. <laughs> um But anyway, so we are here Uh, In this room, loonies are probably wondering why, what the hell are these guys doing there? Curtis, your number two book is Generation X, the underground special from 1998. Um, A very different Marvel comic. Take us through through this, uh, why you chose it as well.
1: Anybody who, is a, who knows me because of the Epic Marvel podcast will be like, okay, he's got to put a Marvel comic in here somewhere, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, when, it, when push comes to shove, I actually think my favorite comics are not Marvel. I'm, yeah, but I do fair. love Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this comic in particular, I've already mentioned Generation X, that I, I collected that series from start to finish, and that, co- that included all of the, the bonus stuff that came out. And so this comic, Generation X Underground Special, came out as a kind of a surprise and I, and it's like unlike anything Marvel has ever done and probably ever will do it. It is so fascinating and I connected with this comic in a very, very um, special way because um, well, f- first of all, I'll explain what this is here generation X. Uh, so I have an interview on my podcast with a guy named jason liebig jason liebig is was the editor of several of the x books through the 90s it's a great interview if you want to learn a little bit about uh what marvel was going through behind the scenes during the late 90s what led to um you know to the heroes Reborn era of of those some of those titles yeah uh, and he had the opportunity to work with Jim Mafood to do this weird comic that was basically an indie or alternative comic using Marvel characters. Jim Mafood is an underground guy who just did a lot of indie comics, and he and and uh, and Jason formed a, a friendship and we were able to put together this comic, which. I don't even know how to describe it. It's Generation X, but like, is, there's a number of stories in here. The first one is there's no superhero work in here at all. The first story is just about a rivalry between M and Skin playing a video game. The second story reimagines Charlie's Angels but using the Generation X characters there, so it's got a lot of the 1970s uh, disco funk influence in their storytelling which G- Jim Muffood is a big fan of that so he puts that influence in a lot of his work um and there's a there's a story about moody old uh, chamber chamber yeah <laughs> thinking about his own life and what it means to be him yeah that was a really weird one i thought out of out of the, the stories cuz um uh, just a different tone altogether yeah it's very serious mm. um v- and that's what I love about this. It just... Oh, and there's a, a, a fake hostess ad for those who remember the old hostess, uh, you know, hotcakes. No, what are they called? Ho-hos and um, uh, ding-dongs and whatever. Uh, those advertisements that use the superheroes in the, in the old comic books, they do a little fake parody ad there. Um I, we go into great length with that interview with Jason Liebeg talking about this special and how it came to be. So I suggest t- taking a listen to that. But why this one is in, of importance to me is that up until this point, I was really only buying superhero comics. Mm-hmm. And this comic showed me that superhero comics, or that comics in general, is so much more than just Marvel and DC. Right. This comic showed me That you can have other art styles, that you can be completely different. I mean, I knew of Garfield and, you know, stuff like that. But as far as serious comics for what I consider to be for grown-ups, because I was a kid just trying to look at stuff that was more mature than I was, this was an eye-opener for me. It's like It introduced me to the world of alternative comics, to the world of underground and indie comics. And I just couldn't get enough. Um, I draw some cartoons myself, and this his artwork really ins- um, inspired and influenced the way that I approach things like shadows and backgrounds and cross-hatching. And- oh, he does a lot with um, the, Yeah, the inking in
0: shadows it's just great, isn't it? I mean, especially with the medium. So good. Yeah, when there's no color it's black and white, but he really does make things pop with um with the shading and, and
1: the yeah, and the dark lighting and, and his dark. solid his solid blacks, his use of thick lines and thin lines and the zipper tone that he uses. It's just it all works so well and I was fascinated by all of it because it's so different than anything than you that you would see in a typical Marvel comic.
0: Oh yeah, I'm I'm still kind of amazed and can only half believe that Marvel Allowed something like this to <laughs> you know, to happen. <laughs> it's it, to me, it, it's kind of, and I mean, it's in, in the absolute best possible way. Um, just the vibe of this, and the art, and the way it's kind of put together. It's kind of like if I went to a, a comic book convention and I found a stall, you know, very underground kind of comic stall, and there's someone there selling their selling their um, you know, limited print run of of this comic that they want to get out it's got yeah. that kind of vibe that really um, even down to the the text the, the way the the text is written um, not only in in word balloons but just you know free form just out in on you know in the in the open so to speak um, yeah, really cool. I I love this and I um yeah, I'm so glad this is one of the reasons Curtis why I do love having guests like yourself on the show because it does actually expose me to to things that I've never come across before, but um absolutely loving this style um as well. Uh you know, I've obviously the Australian comic book scene as well is is a little small and of course it's quite underground. Um so I've read my fair share of uh, local Comic book talent and stuff, but the fact that this is from Marvel, um, <laughs> yeah. and you've got a, a tried and true underground artist and writer, um, it's just it's great, it's so authentic, um, but yeah, a lot of fun here, uh, so yeah, so it plays on the existing characters really kind of just tangentially, um, very loosely, very loosely, just by name, really, um, they're just, they could just be normal people, same with the Banshee's Angels, um but there's that's a beauty because you are familiar with these characters it's like oh i know i know Sean cassidy um and he's uh you know he's a leader of the angels uh yeah really cool jubilee scrapbook you know you get all these um these nice little tidbits it's it's really fun to just read through um you know just all the little bits i love the little um depiction of, of wolverine as well in a scrapbook <laughs> yeah looking so moody and and, and dark um, but now this was great, Curtis. Uh, this was really cool. So I, I must, I must listen to that interview then um, that you have with Jason Liebig because that, that sounds like it's a that's quite an entertaining um, listen. I'll put that in in the show notes yep. actually. Um, sure, sure. Well. So uh, listeners are keen, and I like how uh, Jim injects himself um, here and there. Uh, in the comic. Um, so I'm looking at the splash page of the Banshee's Angels. Um, I'm assuming that's him at the back
1: there. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, so. He's um, got a great 70s haircut and... Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, no, uh, Jim. No, no, Jim a, yeah, the, a, yeah, yeah, the guy with the Cosmic Toast cosmic uh, shirt. Yeah, Toast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, that's him for sure. And he, he puts himself in his comics all the time. He's got a, such a great sense of humor. That's the one thing that drew me... Uh, well, one of the things that drew me here as well is that it's it's such an offbeat sense of humor as well because comics are funny like spider-man can be funny but that sense of humor is not at all what we see here and so when we when we get to banshee's angels and the first thing we see this guy rings the bell and the guy opens up the little slot in the door and he says what's the secret catchphrase sucker (laughs) and the guy says Nipsey Russell and your mama last night. <laughs> like, <laughs> this sets the tone for everything. Like yeah. this is just such a, a weird, weird book and it's wonderful. Um, and I, I, yeah, I love it. I, and so when I was thinking, what are the comics that I need to take with me? It's like, I can re- reread this comic over and over again because not only do i find it entertaining each time i read it but the artwork just looking at every single panel and and how he draws things and the way he composes his panels and and sets up the the way he yeah the way he draws is just i could go through it page by page every single day yeah i mean d- there's deceptively a lot
0: of detail in this as well yeah. from something that looks like i mean it, it he's a great artist um but he he does have his kind of indie style but he actually does put a lot of detail in there um, whether it just be the facial expressions or, or the background um it really does um he really does put a lot in here it'd be interesting um curtis so you so you mentioned this was the door to to you venturing into like um comics beyond the big two what other other titles um or i guess not that popular um that you kind of collect now or, or or have found a great interest in?
1: Well, the, I collect a little bit of everything. So there, my, I have, I have just a, I have amassed a collection of just everything from the, the comic strips to different, different forms of uh, uh, graphic novels, manga and um, literary, stuff and memoirs and i don't know so like everything from like scott pilgrim is something that i okay uh, um let's see from from, okay from from generation x i learned about um the max from image comics yeah Yeah, cool sam keith and yep and i learned about uh johnny the homicidal maniac you've ever read that one before no no not at all that creator went on to create a show called invader zim but johnny was just a it's an extremely gory twisted book that is just fantastic i learned about the original ninja turtles um ah yes i I, i of course knew about the cartoon but found out that it came from these old black and white comics and found out about that but nowadays it's like things I, i'm well more versed in the worldwide um, just global aspect of comics now I've, I've ventured beyond because a lot of these indie guys take their um influence from a lot of european comics and and japanese comics and stuff so like i have a huge collection of the work of tezuka from japan okay he's the guy who created astro mm-hmm. boy but he's done oh, I love so it. so much so much okay um interesting stuff of a variety of different genres. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. And uh, things like Scott McCloud did a series called Zot, which is really cool superhero series. Scott McCloud did a, a comic called um, Understanding Comics, which uh, was really really helpful to me to learn just the quote unquote science behind creating sci- uh recreating comics, and why people create them the way they do, and what are the te- techniques, and what's the history behind it. Um Cordo Maltese is a creator uh, that I, re- I mean, sorry, Hugo Pratt is a creator that I really like. And he has a, a series called Cordo Maltese that um, was from the seven, 50s or 70s, I think. I can't remember exactly the dates, but th- there's some wonderful adventure stuff in there. Uh, it just, there's so much more than Marvel and DC and so much more that it's better than Marvel and DC. And I love exploring this. Um, and learning about the the different things that have come in in the past, and from different parts of the world. Um,
0: I, I love I love how you're you really do get into the mechanics and and really do look behind, um, you know, the making of a comic and the production of it and and just comics as well. It, it, it's um yeah it, it, I don't know it, it it obviously it shows that you're very. Um, interested in it all yep. um it, it, if i just sorry if you just indulge me just for a sec as well it's a similar to um i'm very interested in, in in the piano i play the piano and all that but i'm interested in the piano construction piano tuning all, all that sort of stuff as well so not only the the enjoyment of it but actually the going is on behind it, and, and I, I kind of see that with you in, in comics, and, mm-hmm. and that's really cool. Um, so, yeah, no, that's it's great how you how you know all this other stuff far out. It's it's like a drop in the ocean, the big two, isn't it? And yeah, there's it really nothing is. wrong. I mean, I don't want to as well for listeners as well who who are happy and enjoy the big two or just enjoy Marvel absolutely, there's nothing wrong with that oh, as sure. well. Um, th- there's there's as they say, it's a, it's a whole universe of their. For you to explore and enjoy, and um, yeah, I love my Marvel stuff as well. So do I. Um, but yeah, as well. Um, but there are, uh, I mean, yeah, there's just so much out there, and um, and I'd highly recommend Loonies if you hadn't read this thing, um, Generation X Underground Special. Uh, link will be in that in our encrypted link. Check it out. Um, just see, just it, it does it does open your eyes. It's opened Curtis's eyes to to other. Um, other forms of, of comic books, um, so yeah, it's um, there's a lot out there. I know a lot of people love love the anime, the manga stuff as well, Curtis, which yep. is another another kind of <laughs> <laughs> discussion in itself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, um, but it's really cool. Uh, oh, actually, quite unfortunate. Here's yeah, hello. This is hi, this is Colossus is here. Um, oh, awesome. Hi, Colossus. Here, He's wondering what's happened to his uh, his money jar. Colossus, <laughs> it was Curtis, it wasn't me. <laughs> uh, what money jar? I don't know what you're talking about. It's time to fight dirty. <laughs> he, he's not making any sense. So, um, okay, okay, Peter, just um, we'll pay you back, don't worry. It was all just a joke. Don't kill us. Um, Curtis, I think we should go to your final, your final one. Number one, and... I might just say off the bat here, uh, because there aren't really any, I guess, links to it, um, <laughs> Loonies. So uh, if, if you don't mind, Curtis, if that's okay, I might make an album or something, and I'll make it available in our Facebook group. Sure, yep. Uh, yep, so I've, I've got all the um, the photos of, of it. Um, so you can find it there, Loonies. Uh, Curtis's number one pick, uh, you've titled it Vancouver Sun slash Province uh, of July 1991.
1: So if anybody is familiar with how newspaper comics works, um, every day in the newspaper is a a comic section. And on Monday to Saturday, it's all black and white comics. Each comic strip would have, you know, four panels, three or four panels. And then you'd have a whole page that has a whole bunch of different characters by a whole bunch of different um, creators. And then the special thing is on Sunday... All of the comics are in color. And back in the day, oh, um, I'm talking yes. back in like the turn of the century to the 1940s or so, each comic would get a full page in the newspaper, a full page. And it would be in full color, and they put also a whole bunch of detail into it. And it would be an event on Sunday to get the newspaper comics and have a whole section devoted to comics. There would be like 20 pages of comics. And over the years, comic, the comic section has gotten smaller and smaller to the point where anyone who's doing newspaper comics has to basically put very little detail because their comics get shrunk down to such a small size that that you have to I don't know, you have to format your comics in a very specific way to make it read easy. In the in the eighties um, the, the, com- the local newspapers that were delivered to my neighborhood were the Vancouver Sun and the province. And they had, they had made their comic section into little booklets. They're a little larger than comic book size. They're not full newspaper size. Uh, and they had about a dozen pages or so where you'd get all of your, your Sunday comics. And this, um, my grandmother got the Vancouver Sun and every every Sunday she would save this little comic section for me and so every time I went over to my grandma's house I'd have a stack of these comics waiting for me and this introduced cool. me to all of the great uh, comic book characters, the comic strip characters, um, both of the historically and also the ones that were kind of um, popular at the time, so I learned about Peanuts because it had the front cover. I learned about Archie. I learned about family circus, Nancy, Dennis, the menace, all of these characters that were, um, you know, had been around for a long, long time, Blondie. And it also introduced me to some of the great contemporary ones of the time, like, um, Bloom County, which was called Outland by this time, uh, Foxtrot, Doonesbury, for better, for worse. um, And these were very, very important to me, these comics, because they not only were a big connection to my grandparents, but they were were something that I really gravitated to. I Like I said previously, I I gravitate toward a lot of the funny comics. And so these these day-at-a-time kind of gag comics were, were great for me. Now, you asked me to uh, to provide you with the single issues. And so I'm stretching your rules a little bit <laughs> by calling this yeah. a single issue. It's a single issue for sure, but not of a typical comic book. Uh, and so, and I also said, I'm going to choose one comic section from Vancouver Sun and one comic section from the province. They're very different because they're from two different newspapers. They're two different booklets. But they're about ten pages each, so it equals about one full-size comic book, right? So, yes, <laughs> oh, I've got,
0: I've got twenty-two photos here, Curtis. So that's that's about a full length for yeah, me. There you go. That's, um, that's pretty cool. Uh, no, absolutely. These this was really. I found really charming to, um, to read and to have this as a, as a choice that you've made totally out of left field, um, but I, I love it. Um, this brought a wave of nostalgia back to me, and the way that you actually described it then, Curtis, at the beginning... I'm getting flashbacks of, yes, that's exactly... I remember when I was young, reading the comic strips in the newspaper. Yeah. And I remember looking forward to every Sunday, because they did it here as well. Every Sunday, there would be a lift out, like the the middle of the newspaper. Yep. And it would be all coloured. And so it would be a massive amount of comics. um, Yeah, and I remember reading... Yeah, about 10 pages. And I remember reading all that as well looking forward to sunday like when my dad was finished with the paper i'll just take it and rip out the middle bit (laughs) yeah um it's fantastic and and i love these because it's a different form totally um these are vignettes um, but we're talking man that could even just be one panel uh you know so instead of a full length issue um these are um Obviously, quite humorous as well, but they range from um, a fair few panels to you know one or two. One of my favourites was um, was Far Side, yes, uh, Curtis, definitely. which <laughs> which is <laughs> featured here. The stuff that Gary Larson can come up with. Um, with just an economy of, of, of panels and and uh, dialogue is just is just hilarious. Um, there are a lot of things here, Curtis, which I recognise from um, from the Australian newspapers. So and obviously internationally, so the likes of Archie and Peanuts and Garfield. Um, but the other ones, which I thought were a bit more obscure, I'm not sure how well known they were. But like you know, the things of like Kathy, that she'd she'd always been featured in our newspapers. Yep. Um, uh, Herman was as well. Hagar the horrible. Um, yeah. So there were a very uh, there were a lot of um, familiar ones, but there were heaps of unfamiliar ones. But I, I just I just ate it all up reading through these. Um, these were very cool because you know they're just very like bite
1: sized pieces. Yep. And one of the reasons why I wanted to pick this one is like if I were stuck on a desert island and could only read one thing, like this provides (laughs) me the variety of styles and characters. And so it's like I'm not I don't just have just one Spider-Man comic. Now I've got a book that has an anthology of so many different creators and so many different characters and it, it uh, it would keep me happy for a little while. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: that's really good. Cool. I love I love how you're given the thought of, of the desert island. That's really cool. A lot of loonies um, that have been on on uh, the Olera sessions um, have different takes on it. You know, um, some loonies have chosen double double size issues because you know you can get two two in one um, for one issue. Right. Uh, you know, so they try to get the length happening. Uh, others are uh, yeah need something a, a little bit more. Um, I guess like dense, um, so yeah, it's um it's really cool to interesting to to see how people, what people take on the on the Isle,
1: onto the Isle of Ra. Uh, so yeah, can, these are. Can uh, I share a couple of stories on. with you here? Yeah, absolutely. So my my grandmother only got the Vancouver Sun, and so I've like I said here I've chosen two comics. One is from the Sun, and one is from the province. Province, I would say, arguably is better than the Vancouver Sun in terms of the comics that it has because the, the province had Calvin and Hobbes and Farsight and Garfield and those three were kind of my definitely my favorites growing up uh, and I never really got to read those ones and also it has some classics like The Wizard of Id and Hagar the Horrible um, BC, High and Lowest all of those comics that came out of the 1950s are all in the province and so I, when, when I was growing up, I lived just up the street from a school, a private school, and uh, and I would go ride my bike down there and, and play in the playground on a very regular basis. And they had this huge, um, just like a shipping container in their back, back area, and beside the shipping containers where they kept all of their newspapers, and they had, uh, I don't know, they had just ton- This was way before res- recycling was really a thing, so they just had stacks of, stacks of their <laughs> newspapers there. Yeah, and yeah. one day I discovered that the province was there and that they, uh, they would just throw out their copies and I could find the comic section for the province, which I never got because my grandma didn't save those ones for me because she never got that newspaper. And so I would make it a weekly thing to go down to the where they kept all their garbage and find the old (laughs) newspaper that had the province. And I, I had a huge, huge stack of these province and Vancouver sun comic pages, comic sections. And, um, and I got, I I would cut them up and paste them into little books and, and basically destroyed them. And I didn't, I didn't have, I got rid of them long, long time ago. And then recently, I had the reason to get them back because I've been actually working for IDW um, and working on, actually not directly with IDW, but with a company called the Library of American Comics. And I'm working on a a, a series that's collecting for better or for worse, which is one of the comics in the Vancouver Sun section that I grew up reading. Um, I had done some work with them in the past, a book called Chuck Jones, The Dream That Never Was. Um, which collected an old, obscure comic strip from the 70s. Um, and I had... Lynn Johnston, the creator of For Better or For Worse, was moving to my town. And so I contacted the 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 editor of uh, Library of American Comics. His name is Dean Mullaney, And I said to him, do you want to try to get your hands on For Better or For Worse to reprint those? And he's like, yeah, let's do that. So I arranged a time to meet with lynn and uh, pitched her the idea and she loved it so um their lawyers had to talk to the comic book company's lawyers and work out all those details and such but we got the ball rolling and and i've been working do restoring the color and um to the sunday comics and doing some restoration work and um cool and i had to buy these uh, stacks of these old comics because I needed the reference to find out what the original colors were because uh, they didn't have the proper files in their own archives. And a lot of the, the collections of For Better, For Worse that had come before that were all in black and white or didn't include the Sundays, so I just didn't have the adequate resources. So I got off of Craigslist just these... Uh, no, I actually found them in a in a comic shop. I found the 1991, which was the year that I needed. And I started reading these comic strips as I was doing the color work. And I'm like, wow, I remember these from when I was a kid. I remember reading these exact ones. And so when you, when I was trying to figure out which day do I bring to the table for our discussion today, I was like, well, I want to find one where at least majority of the comics are funny because, you know, not every day is a winner for, for these guys. They, They're not. They can't be funny three (laughs) hundred and sixty-five days of the year. That's fair. Uh, Except for Gary Larson. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So I found a day that I think worked really well in terms of uh, stuff that I remember as a kid. So it has the nostalgia recollection for me, but also the majority of these comics uh, are really funny. And yeah, well, right. So uh,
0: uh, yeah, so a lot of these touched upon your your nostalgia, right? So the ones that I've read. They've um they've hold, held a special memory in your um, in your heart in your in the past. Yep. Cool. Wow. Cool. Um, yeah. The the uh, Garfield for me was, I don't know, you know, when I was reading the comic like art wise, that was what I kind of it seemed like the most polished when I was young, like uh, Garfield. So definitely. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd always look at that one. Um. Yeah, I'd always look at that one first. And Hagar the Horrible was it? was another big one um, that I loved. We we also got the, the like the Phantom. Uh, oh yeah, as well. Uh, just yeah, just but I always found that hard to follow because it was a serial, but um, similar to one of one of these ones here, it was a serial, but it it was so short, like, and you had to wait the next you know the next I just didn't have the patience to, yeah. <laughs> to try and piece it all together reading those comics um, back
1: then was uh, was definitely something that like I mean just reading newspapers in general was very a very regular thing especially for people who commuted you'd take it on the bus you don't do that anymore especially with the advent of cell phones no one does that on the bus anymore but people would read it every day and so Dick Tracy yeah. It, it lasted for... Yeah, Dick Tracy more, as well? It, I mean, it, actually, Dick Tracy's still running to this day, just with different people, because people do log on online and read the few panels every day to find out what's going on, and, uh, and it's quite an adventure. And that's why I, I love old comic strip collections, because you get the full story, and you can read a good chunk of them all at once, and it's quite wonderful. Uh, I've got a big collection of these old comic strip books, because they're so exciting. They're so exciting to read. Yeah. Have, have
0: you have you introduced the little ones to them already?
1: Uh, yeah, I've trying to. Mm. And <laughs> re- recently, my, one of my sons has really gotten into Garfield, which is really cool. But I have all of these books, and they're ready for when they are willing to to dive into them. Um, they're more than welcome to to read any of this stuff because I, I I'd love to share it. That's for sure. Yeah, great. Um,
0: the thing I was um referring to from from these um these strips that you presented, uh, Prince Valiant. Oh yes. Um, so that was kind of yeah, that was a such a different one compared to every all the other ones. Beautiful oh, artwork, it's very beautiful. Much, beautiful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, but very much a you know I guess a serialized yeah. um format. Um, but yeah, very very, yeah, very good art. Um, yeah, so uh, fantastic. Um. Any final thoughts on, on any of these collections here, um, Curtis, of uh, sorry, the Vancouver Sun and the province, um, any things of note, um, that you'd like to, to call out?
1: Well, uh, basically I think everybody should read these types of comics because you, you just get to, uh, experience, experience something different, um. Uh, everybody loves a good laugh and everyone loves to just check out for a little while. And these, these comics provide that sort of thing. Um, so if you are, especially if you, if you ever wanted to get into the world of collecting these comic strip books, but don't know where to start these, pa- these little things are a good sampler. So you can see, Oh, I really like Calvin and Hobbes. Maybe I should look into where I can find some collections of that. Because most of these I think most of these comics that are in here have collections, not all of them. Uh, in fact, actually quite a number of them have become very obscure and fallen to the wayside. Motley's crew, Ernie. actually Ernie, I think, from what I understand, is a really popular strip in Latvia <laughs> of all places. Oh wow uh, it's wow. um it's actually still I, I think it might be still running or they still print collections on a regular basis um in latvia <laughs> nowhere else in the latvia. world really cares about ernie i think it's called piranha's club now the piranha club um but it's a, a very funny offbeat strip that's uh it's quite clever so but you can't find any collections here
0: right I sure it's not latveria maybe it's dr doom's favorite it um, could be um, yeah. you, you never know <laughs> <laughs> you never know um Yeah, uh, Fred Bassett. I'm just having a look here. Fred Bassett was a staple as well that we used to always have. It seems uh, I don't know. It seemed like a very I thought that would have like disappeared into obscurity or just something that the English or the Aussies seem to like, but. Um, interesting to see that it's in here as well. Uh you did mention for better or for worse, that was one of my um one of my favorites as well here. The little the little story of the guy hoping to become a, a chick magnet for want of a better word. <laughs> yeah. Because he's got a baby and so he has all these grand visions of him walking down the street in, a, in a, with a stroller and all these young women coming up to him and being interested in the baby. But in reality he he gets like shall we say, the more mature of women. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> yep. Interested it's and funny. he's now, not. That he's strip, not happy
1: I, at all. Yeah, sorry. Th- yeah, that strip, I really connected with because those characters aged in real time. So every day oh, that okay. passed was an actual real day for them. And I was the same age as one of the kids in in that strip. So when I was reading these these stories, oh, that's so cool. When they graduated from high school, I was graduating from high school, and it was like it's just the parallels were were pretty cool. Yeah, and and uh, so. To be able to to work on that strip now, and uh, and have a have a part in playing in the preservation of that of the history of this comic strip is very very cool to me.
0: Yeah, how how did you know that? Was that from um, just following it for for such a long time that you noticed, or did you find that? um, No, that's from following it
1: along. Yeah, you definitely notice. And I would uh, I actually never followed in the newspapers. I would take the books out from the library because they came up with annual collections. And the library oh. always carried those and so when i get it it's like oh now now elizabeth is entering 5th grade and now she's in 6th grade and 7th grade like you can't help but notice that they're getting older and then they they're in high school and dealing with their high school problems and michael goes off to college and and then he gets married and has kids of his own and like they're they the whole strip lasted for 30 years and you saw 30 years wow. of actual growth and development it was very very cool that's so cool that's so cool yeah, and no, that's that's great. Um,
0: uh, one final little shout out all I want to give is is Calvin and Hobbes. That that uh, oh, yes. that strip really fascinated me when I was uh, when I was young, and I remember going to Demix, which is a bookstore over here, um, and looking for the collected, um, you know, just collections of it because you can you can get it um, in a kind of a larger size. Um, so yeah, and a very very cool. And that kind of spurred me onto there's a um, Dynamite Labs. Um, uh, title by David Popose, and it's, uh, it's called Spencer and Locke. Uh, it's, it's kind of like what if Calvin and Hobbes met, um, in Sin City, Frank Millicent Sin City. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's really cool. Uh, and again, it has to, I don't know, it's me and, um, um, superheroes with, with mental issues, but it's, uh, it's a guy, um, Locke, I believe, and he has a toy panther called Spencer. Um, which is kind of like the um, the tiger imaginary friend here in Calvin and Hobbes. Really cool, really fun, uh, very dark as well. But um, I that all came from my love of of Calvin Calvin and Hobbes. That's awesome. So uh, yeah, so very cool. Um, well, Curtis, I think uh, if you are up for it, the X Men are we, we're gonna play a bit of baseball with them their their annual jaunt um so let's uh let's limber up but before we do that i wanted to uh give a massive thank you to you for for coming on to the show thank you for taking your time i'm utterly fascinated uh with with these comics that you chose and and the the backstory to them have been been fascinating as well as your your journey into comics um and uh yeah, I, uh, so thank you so much for for coming onto the show.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and I'm always willing to to talk about comics of any kind. That's for sure.
0: Oh, fantastic! Um, before we do, um, you know, suit up and go play baseball. Where can loonies fo- um, contact you or find your show on the interwebs?
1: Well, definitely check out EpicMarvelPodcast.com. dot com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. If you just search for Epic Marvel Podcast. And I, if you are really into the Epic Collections, you can also join my Facebook group. We just search for Epic Collections. We have an appreciation group there. And, uh, we'll yeah, join us for the conversation there. You can email me at epicmarvelpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's kind of everywhere, yeah
0: fantastic well um, as well um we'll include all of that in the show notes as well loonies so if you want to um, venture further highly recommend it highly rec- highly recommend the group as well i know one of our other big loonies there josh geronimo johnson is uh, is there as well he's loving it um i'm loving it as well uh, plenty more epic collection purchases curtis on the way i'm sure <laughs> um so um anyway Next phase, loonies. We are heading towards a waxing crescent. And so as Conchu deems, we have to do a lunapic Modern Run review. So this will be a continuation of, oh yes, that oh-so-controversial Brian Michael Bendis for Moon Knight Volume 6 Issue 6. Looking forward to that. And we'll have a another co-host uh, coming on, Joey Agliata. Joey the Mega Man Agliata. Um, also from Jump and Shoot podcast, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, finally, as well, we are part of the collective, um, just a whole informal network of of podcasters, um, character based. Um, and uh, geek culture based as well So the likes of us um, But you can find uh, a Ghost Rider podcast Inner Demons Or uh, the Venom podcast We are Venomaniacs um, They're all um, part of the collective And uh, you can find links um, on this episode To to them and a the whole directory of all of them uh, As well as if you go on Twitter Hashtag The Collective Net is, um, is where you can find our stuff being tweeted as usual you can email us on at gmail.com as well as um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Discord, uh, we're on Podchaser now as well which is a great um, a great platform for podcasters. Actually Curtis by the way, I um, I requested they add the Epic Marvel podcast to to um to Podchaser Chaser um, in the database because oh, okay. they're, they're kind of growing. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, you know, I, I love your show, so I wanted to um, make sure that it was in there. Thanks. So uh, Epic Pod, yeah, Epic Marvel Podcast is now on there. Um, as well as we have a Patreon uh, page as well. So Loonies, if you are considering uh, helping us out with the show, uh, it'll be pretty cool. and uh, A lot of incentives there. Um, go check it out. Uh, a big thanks again to our sponsors, Hello Headphones. Um, and as mentioned, if you can use if you use ITK Moon Knight in their promo code, you can get 10% off their online store. And I'd like to also announce we are affiliate members now with not only Amazon but Entertainment Earth. So if you do like your action figures um, and if you buy something using the link, in our show notes, uh, that will help support the show. Uh, Curtis, are you a are you an action figure collector? Is that another?
1: Mm, I used to be, No. but nowadays mm-hmm. I just find they take up too much space, so I've kind of weaned myself off of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, look, it's just another thing as well to buy and to collect, isn't it? So it does yeah. get a bit a good much. Um, I I do a little bit here and there, a bit of Moon Knight and some of my favourite characters, but but that's about it. Um, but it's a lot of fun anyway. Check it out, Entertainment Earth. Um, anyway as always you can catch us on all different podcast catches whatever one you're listening to now we're on that <laughs> I always say um, and all the other ones as well so that's, that's great once again Curtis a huge thank you thank you for coming to Isla Raz, thank you for going to Grant Mansion thank you for putting up with, um, with uh, Uncle Scrooge and Colossus
1: <laughs> well you know I, I do what I need to do and uh, I'm just <laughs> glad you were able to set all that up because that's probably a lot of work Uh, getting all of those locations secured
0: and set up Uh, oh no not at all it's all right nothing that um you know a bit of conchu's influence won't help uh, won't um go astray yeah anyway loonies (laughs) thanks once again and as always may conchu watch over the denizens of the night catch you later
1: Let us go talk to the professor.